Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Selling You. I am your host, Sarah Mae Dickinson. I am here to walk you through all fun things that are sales. For those of you that are new, we are Selling You Pod. We are here to help you learn everything within the sales world that you will need to know. I specialize in helping newbies, so please do not turn this off because you heard the word sales. I know that you're new. I know that sales isn't fun. I am here to teach you all of the basics that you need to know that are going to help change your life and your business. Today on the pod, we are hearing from a friend of mine, Miss Amy Boyle. She owns and operates Grace Girl Beads out of Huntsville, Alabama. She has grown, I don't even know how to use a percentage for this. When she and I met and started working together in the beginning of 2021, she had three wholesalers. It is currently six months later, and she has 65 wholesalers. So in six months, she has gone from being a tiny little operation to someone pretty large. She sells beautiful handmade jewelry and is getting to the point where she realizes that she needs a much larger infrastructure behind her. And I wanted her perspective on how long that took and really what some of the changes were that she had to do to get there, right? the mental changes that she had to make, how she kind of goes about those sales, how she's working with wholesalers, and truly how her business has changed in the last 10 years. So from someone who didn't know anything about sales, started a jewelry business, literally for fun on the side to kind of pay for extras here and there, to 65 plus stores. That's a huge change. And I wanted to know what her thoughts were on that and what we could learn from that. Please enjoy Miss Amy Boyle. Life as a new mom has been interesting in the uh, world of business. Did you start your business um, while you had children? When did uh-huh. you start making jewelry? I did it on the side when I was, you know, before children. And, and then a little bit in between when Jack was little when my oldest was little, but then when Andrew was born, I guess he was probably about a year old when I really started making jewelry <laughs> and spending more money on it than I probably should. <laughs> no more, a little out than in. And I, well, when, when it was we just moved, a hobby at first, it, yeah, like. it was just a hobby. And when we moved here, I did not work mm-hmm. because we moved here to help Jamie's parents and because his dad was in a nursing home. And so I needed to be available. That was one of the reasons we moved here so that I could be available. So mm-hmm. and for those them. of you that don't know, you were in Georgia at the time. Now you're here in Alabama. Yes. Was in, in Georgia at the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me when you started, which is hilarious because obviously you're a client. I know very little about your past. It's so funny when I have clients who are like, well, do you know my specific market? And I'm like, no, I don't care. I don't need to know. Um, and <laughs> You just work through all the same things. And knowing this, it's funny. I know so little about your story. Were you always a creative person? Like what led you down the path of something like this? Well, I, ca- I like to say that I come from a long line of creative people. And I do. My, my mother um, has always either sewn or cross-stitched or just a little bit of crafting here and there. When the grandkids come over, she's always crafting. I have an aunt who quilts. I have an aunt who was a fantastic cake decorator, but she also does 
glass lampwork beads. She does um, sewing. I mean, my grandmother was, a, I mean, we just, we're all crafters. That's mm-hmm. just the way it was. I was the jewelry person. Nobody had that niche. niche. So I kind of, I guess, fell into that. I tried painting. I couldn't do that. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't. So I tried all that stuff and I was like, forget it. I'm going to try something that I know I can do. And so. And when I, you guys moved here, did that give you the time to explore some of this? It did. Yes, it did give me more time. Um, especially when, um, after my second child was born, my oldest child, there almost five years difference in them. He was in kindergarten. So the baby slept, I came and played. And at the time I didn't have an office or a studio or anything. I had a corner of a, you know, bedroom office closet, <laughs> like whatever. And, um, wherever you can fit your stuff. Exactly. Wherever I can fit my stuff. And so it, um, or the dining room table, or, <laughs> um, I just kind of played around with it a little bit. So. Sounds like you needed one of those things the chefs use when they like fold out their knives. Like you could just like go anywhere and like stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yes, like piecing yes. things together. Absolutely. So Absolutely. For you, and this is a great question because I have a lot of folks that come to me and people that will be listening to this podcast who um, maybe don't feel comfortable calling what they do a business. Like, no, 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 it's not a business. I just do this for fun. When did you let yourself start to treat this like you were actually making a product for other people? Well, <laughs> the funny part is I I used to make jewelry for my friends. Mm-hmm. And that kind of morphed into a, a friend asking, you know, hey, you want to come set up here and sell your jewelry? Or, hey, would you like to do this? I started doing little pop-up craft shows early on. I mean, maybe a year or two into making jewelry Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. end up really making jewelry Mm -hmm. and not just playing with it in Mm -hmm. my spare time, but, um, actually having enough pieces to even, yeah, actually having enough pieces to do that. Um, the, I think that the one event that started me on this journey was I worked for my church we have a Mother's Day out program at our church and I worked there and we have a fall festival every year to raise money for Mm -hmm. like every church program does, you know, truck or treat and all that good stuff. And, um, we were having a, for uh, those of you pause for those of you that are not from the South, trunk or treat (laughs) is like not a thing everywhere. Um, I forget you're from up north yes. so, you probably, so like you trunk know. retreat is this really fun thing where you set up basically in what a parking lot and you decorate the yes. trunk of your car so that your and children candy yeah and you have like a fun trick-or-treating event where it's safe and you know everyone and you have contests of who has the best decorations and all yes. kinds of fun things great so you're yes. trunk or treating you're raising yes. money you're yes. crafting <laughs> go on yes <laughs> yes raising money and all that good stuff so we had a silent auction that night and I had brought a necklace and pair of earrings to donate for the silent auction and when I left that night I had nine orders and so I thought blow your mind yeah it kind of did because I was like really I gotta make nine of the same necklaces (laughs) what 
I thought in my head because my head at that time didn't work that way. Uh It worked in singles and I made one of a kind pieces. Everything is unique and beautiful. Everything everything is unique and beautiful. And it's great because everybody can have something different. And Sarah has taught me that that's not a great way to run a business. It just makes it really hard. Um, it makes so, it really hard to run a business. So, so you get the that's nine not, orders. That doesn't happen anymore. So <laughs> I walked out with nine orders and and that was in October for the Halloween, of course. Uh-huh. And so I thought. What year was this? This was in 2009. Okay, great. So. 2009. So I, I thought, hmm, maybe. I can sell some jewelry, make a little money, pay for my family's Christmas, not have to chuck it on a credit card like everybody else does. And so that's what I did the first few years. I worked three months out of the year. I worked and sold jewelry in October, November, December. I did cute little Christmas pop-ups and I paid for our family's Christmas. And that's how it was. So That is super fun. So tell me a little bit about... Your perspective has probably changed on this, but doing a pop-up, doing a trade show is what it would be more commonly referred to, I guess, in the sales Mm -hmm. community. Tell me a little bit about that kind of sale. What are you doing when you're standing in a pop-up? Well, I'll say maybe this. this has changed over the years. Maybe at first you sat in your chair and just like sat behind the table. But like, what are you doing when you're at these? <laughs> scrolled my phone. No, I don't <laughs> sit there and scroll my phone um, anymore. You know, it, I think obviously for a small pop-up compared to a trade show, the sale is totally different. Um, but, you know, people who are coming into those small little Christmas pop-ups, are cash in hand, ready to go, ready to spend. And so buyers, they're the hottest, they're what you call your hot crowd. (laughs) I mean, your hot audience, you know, you talk about a hot audience and a warm audience. They are your hot audience. And um, they just, it's, it's an easy sale. I, there's really no selling to it. It's, Honestly, it's the displaying is Mm. what the key is in situations like that, because you have to have it displayed to where people can um, see the product well. And, you know, I've learned a lot. I've learned a ton about retail merchandising and displaying. Yeah, tell me about that for someone that's new. Like if a display, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously prepping sounds like prepping for these kinds of shows is almost the most important part. So like, Mm -hmm. what are some things that you do to prep correctly so that the sale becomes easy when you get there? My, so my displays have obviously evolved over the years, but I kind of learned that my style of jewelry and, and I adapted my displays to it. Mm -hmm. So my style of jewelry really sells well at vintage type, markets, Mm. um, barn sales, which if you're not from the South, the barn sale (laughs) is literally a sale on a farm of lots of vintage and antiques things. And it's, it's really great. I mean, it's a day, it's like a, it's like a day in the country at a flea market or something. Um, I mean, I've watched flea market flip. I know they have (laughs) outside of the South. They do. do. 
but I love that you're like, it's a, we always have to translate for our Northern friends to the South, <laughs> yes. what's happening yes. here. Yes. So, um, so anyway, I, I've noticed that, or, you know, my jewelry kind of fits that style. And so I adapted my displays to it. I have solid wood pallet walls that we carry. Mm. I mean, my husband always kids me that I haul an eight foot trailer full of displays for four tiny little boxes of product. Literally I do. And, um, now that I'm trying to get out of the live in-person show business. Right. I mean, well, I'm sitting at that. I'm looking at that trailer. We're over 10 years I know. And so anyway, so anyway, I've adapted a, the displays to it. Yeah. You brought up a great point. You said, I realized quote, quote, that my jewelry matched these mm-hmm. kinds of events, barn events, because it's a vintage kind of feel. Mm-hmm. How did you learn what your jewelry matched? Did that take some trial and error? Do you feel like you were trying some different things and it, and it stuck? What did you learn? How did you learn that? That your product matched these kinds of sales environments? Well, one of the first two stores that I landed was a store that had booths. So I had my own booth, mm-hmm. you know, much like an antique mall or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they sold repurposed furniture, vintage pieces, things like that. I guess maybe that influenced what my style of jewelry was at the time. Um, it's, you know, not necessarily totally vintage looking now, but, you know, I've added more styles in there to accommodate more people. But I think that that possibly did. Now that I think back on it, look at that. Ding, ding, ding. There's a light bulb <laughs> going off over my head back here. I'm like, we're really? discovering that things have, here. That really might have, you know, influenced my style all along. But that was one of the, you know, one of the first two stores I got. And so it sold well there. I did really well there. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do this show. I'll try getting in this show or this show. And mm-hmm. it just, it worked. And when you say, because this is also something we've never spoken about before, but I find fascinating. I think it's important for people to realize, you know, when you're setting up your, you're basically setting up your environment so that the actual sale becomes easy. And that's super Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. When you say that you, you basically created displays to match the environment. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Like, what did you do? Did you look around and see there's a lot of like wood accents here? This is very craftsman. This is very whatever. Like what, uh-huh. what things did you do to understand that? So a lot you of watching my, a lot of HGTV I, like myself. Uh, possibly. Yes. I've watched <laughs> a lot of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Um, now a lot of, inst- well, and a lot of that was instead of using like a neck bust for and uh for a display i would use an old vintage bottle you know amber bottles mm. or clear bottles or um necklaces look amazing on them mm. they really do instead of earring holders we use um vintage bed springs they're actually a set of bunk beds out of an orphanage in germany just really cool um so my having a story behind it I know so my and and I can't tell you how many people I've had offer to buy my display pieces um and I I'm like wait no I might not be able to sorry boo boo I need that (laughs) you know some of them I will I will part with but some of them I'm like oh no I can't sell that (laughs) um so it you know it it there's a story behind the display, but there's also it, which also helps tell the story of the jewelry. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Woo, what a transition. Cause you know, <laughs> I love telling a story and you know, I preach it because mm-hmm. people often don't realize how important telling yes. your story is. Yes. Do you feel like you have a story that goes along with each of your pieces? No, (laughs) you know, I don't necessarily think there's a story behind each piece. I can't, sometimes I just, excuse me, it's my friend Amy who, who works for me, who was my friend before she was my employee. Mm -hmm. And um, when she goes with me to shows, wholesale shows where on buying trips, where we go, we go to trade shows basically too to buy beads and chain and all the pieces that make all the materials yeah all the materials for this she she just stands there and watches me because I'll you know I'll just start pulling beads and chain and stuff and I've got it all thrown in a box and she's looking at me like what the heck are you gonna do with all of that and I'm thinking well I'm gonna make a necklace with this and I'm gonna do this with this and I'm gonna do this with this and she's looking at me like how do you see that in your brain I've just always been able to envision that end product in just raw materials laying on a table so that you know that's I know it's not a hugely artistic creative process but I like it it's what it's what works for me hey what works for you is what's important. And I think, That's right. you know, one of the reasons why um, I love having you as a client and one of the reasons why I think it's important for people to hear this side of you is that it's, it's very, um, it can be very daunting for creative folks to enter into the business side of it because it feels like you're almost losing a part of yourself. It feels like mm-hmm. not the kind of person that you are or not the kind of person that you want to be. Um, what is that like for you as a creative to also be a business person? Well, and when I said that you were a business person for a long time, did it take a long time for you to accept the fact that you were also an owner and a business person? No, it didn't. I knew that from the beginning, but when I, when I say I come from a long line of craft, crafters, crafting people. I also come from a huge, the other side of my family are entrepreneurs. My grandfather never finished 10th grade and owns multiple businesses and started them all on his own. Um, So I get that, that side, that entrepreneurship from my other side of the family. So I guess I have a good mix for what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is great. But the thing it took me the longest time to accept was that I was an artist. I always had a hard time. Mm. I, I always thought, well, I just make jewelry. I'm not an artist. I don't, you know. How did you come art, to accept that? Artists paint and artists sculpt and things like that. So one of my first two stores, I had a very good friend who owned that first store. And he told me, he said, you may not be an artist in the traditional realms of art, of art, he said, but your mediums are beads and metal and leather. And he said, you are just as, you know, he, it took years of him pounding it into my head for me to finally get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So took me a while with that. 
how long do you think it really took you? Like how many years do you really think you've accepted the fact that you're an artist? Probably it took me two or three years to figure that out, mm -hmm. I would say. So, and I'm going on nine years in legitimate, what I call legitimate business, <laughs> where I actually have a business license and, mm -hmm. you know, do all the legitimate business things, mm -hmm. keep, keep up with what you're selling and what you're not selling and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Took me a while to figure that out. So what made you make the transition from, you know, three months out of the year to wanting to do it as a full-fledged business? Oh, that's a big story. I don't, think <laughs> I don't think I've ever told you this one either. So and I get to learn all kinds of things. I don't know. It's awesome. You're going to learn so much today. <laughs> so in 2013, 2013, I, um, you know, I would take my summers off and all that stuff, which was great and not have, you know, my kids and I could play all summer long and then I would work in the fall. Well, in 2013, we started summer off great and my Mimi died unexpectedly at the beginning of that summer. And um, she was my, she was my, I know people talk about they have bonds with their, with a grandmother and she was my, like she was, I don't know. I had a wonderful mother also, but she was like my second mother. Yeah. She um, practically helped raise me when my parents divorced. And um, she and I had a very, like we spoke on the phone every day. And so she died kind of unexpectedly at the beginning of that summer. And I spent that summer in what I now know was depression, but I didn't know it at the time. My kids call it the summer mom didn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they were five and nine at the time and could see it. And so um, in August, when my youngest went off to kindergarten, my husband looked at me and he was like, you got to do something. You got to get out of the bed. You got to go talk to somebody. You got to do, you got to do something. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give jewelry one last full-time shot. Mm -hmm. And, um, if it doesn't take off by Christmas, I'm going to quit and get a real job. I actually said that the words real job came out of my mouth and I landed my first two stores that fall and I never looked back. Hell yeah. First of all, <laughs> hell yeah. Um, okay. So for so many things with that, I mean, I, <laughs> I sometimes don't even like refer to what I do as a real business, which is so stupid, right? Like we, a real job, a mm -hmm. real job. Like there's some thing to that. Um, do you think jewelry is your therapy? Oh, it is. It's definitely. And I, the problem with me is, is I tend to not want to stop. Mm. I, I, you know, I don't Beautiful have a thing though. I don't have a normal nine to five day. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I mean, I may work three days a week, but I may work 12 hours, 12 to 14 hours in a day in the, in quarter four, I work 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, most days, just depending on demand and demand has been high the last two years. So I don't really have a normal job. So sometimes I don't know when to stop. I can't, my office is in my home, my studio's in my home. And so I can't just go downstairs and sit and watch TV and relax. That's hard for me. Mm -hmm. 
when I have a TV in my office, I could also be making jewelry. So <laughs> why like, would I, I want to watch like TV in, downstairs? You're like, I could be enjoying what I do and watching television. Why wouldn't I yeah. want to do such yeah. a thing? Yeah. Yep. So you got your first two stores and I know things have changed quite dramatically in the last nine years. I would say things have, you know, it's funny. I hear a lot of um, people get obsessed when I work with with clients or I talk to people who are new in business and they get real obsessed with like overnight stories, quote, 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 mm-hmm. quote, quote. I put in a lot of air quotes because I don't think there is such a thing as an overnight story. Yep. Um, I read a post this morning on Instagram from Sarah, um, the, the lady who started Spanx, which as a woman, we all know what Spanx is. Yes. And she, she was talking about how for like the first five years of business, she didn't have enough money to do advertising. So she would just wear a black shirt that she like self printed the name Spanx on. Right. So like literally like she wrote with a Sharpie. Or yeah. Something. So like literally like some of like the richest people in the country, like we think it's like the overnight stories and they're not. So tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about, you know, how different your business is the last, let's say year and a half compared to the years before it what's changed um well you know because you've been here with me this year it's really been the last six months that's been so dramatically different I started let me go back just a little bit I did start wholesaling jewelry probably about five years ago so and tell for the audience what is a you know for anybody that's in a creative business. Mm-hmm. What is wholesaling versus what you were doing before? So for many years, I, I did what was called consignment sales, where I take a ton of jewelry and you have a lot invested in inventory and product and you leave it somewhere and you trust that they will pay you for it at the end of the month if it sells. And so um, a lot of creatives work under that system currently and in about four years into that I decided to I had someone approach me about buying my jewelry wholesale for her boutique and so I decided that it was a good fit for me it was a city that I was not in and actually it was a city outside of Huntsville and at the time I hadn't I hadn't even been outside of Huntsville and um I'm sorry how many years ago was this this was like five years ago. Wow. Okay. So I almost... wasn't even selling outside of the city of Huntsville wow. unless okay. I would go and do a pop-up show or something like that. Uh-huh. So, so this lady approached me she was in, you know, a town that's only like 45 minutes away. And so, yeah, but still. And so I said, sure. So I would go and meet her for lunch and lay out jewelry on a table in a restaurant and she would pick out what she wanted and buy it from me. It was the oddest thing. But, you know, we had good lunches. And so there you go. And we talked business. And then um, I had, you know, it it was, you know, a couple more. Hey, a friend suggested me to a store and a store contacted me. Or I had a friend who worked at a store in Decatur, where you are. Mm -hmm. And um, she suggested her to me. And she's still one of my clients. (laughs) And so, you know, I've had her for nearly five years Mm -hmm. as a wholesale account. Um, And I've been, you know, wholesaling here locally within a couple of hours of home, I would say, for a while. And it would be 
you know, there was no line sheet. There was no catalog for them to pick from. It was Amy takes three cases of jewelry over there and just lets them pick whatever they want. So not a lot of sales strategy around. Not a a really whole lot of sales strategy. No. And, but they, the thing was, is they loved the personal aspect Mm -hmm. of it. They loved the personal aspect of it. They know my kids. Mm -hmm. They, they ask about my husband, you know, it was. The rapport meant something. Yes, absolutely. It was the relationship that was built with those. And so obviously things have changed differently because I now have 59 stores. <laughs> I mean, that's so exciting. <clears throat> it is. Um, it really is. Sarah has been along for the, the ride that has been the last three months of Grace Girl Beats. It's been quite we, a ride so far. It really has been I joined quite a ride. at the right time to be uh You sure did. Fun. You hopped on the train at the right time. <laughs> so tell so. me, you know, compared to, you know, rolling out your jewelry on a napkin at a, uh, at a restaurant. <laughs> exactly. At a restaurant. Exactly. Versus now, what are your, what would your advice be to the creatives out there about like having a sales strategy? What has that, what kind of thoughts have changed for you and your business kind of approaching it from that direction? So honestly, the biggest thing that I see newer people or newer creatives make is not nailing their pricing down Mm. from the start. That Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing. And I even struggled with that. I mean, and what do you mean by that? They would waver on it. It would change from month to month. Like, what do you, what do you mean exactly that you're saying? No, they're not charging enough from the start. Ah. Not charging I don't know if that got to the sound, but I'm really pumped about that. Okay. Not charging enough. No. And Amy is still over here raising her prices on the daily. It seems like not on the daily, but. And to be clear for the audience, we don't talk about raising prices to hurt the customer. We talk about raising prices to make sure you're making enough money to stay in the green, which means you are making money as a business. Correct. Tell me, how did you... How did you finally figure out how to do that in a way that's smart for you to not only make money yourself, but to be able to invest back in your business and grow it? How did you figure out how the pricing should be working? Uh, well, you told me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Great advertisement, though. Go on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> no, I knew for a very long time that I was probably undercharging. Um And why didn't you raise your prices then? What I was, well, and here's the thing. So Sarah and I are in Alabama, Mm y'all. You can tell by my accent. Y'all. As As I finished that with y'all. Anyway, um, and I, I have a lot of things that wouldn't necessarily, you know, sell Mm -hmm. for a higher price in Alabama, Mm -hmm. but they would sell. I have found now by being nationwide that they can sell this stuff Mm -hmm. in other places for these higher prices. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I I even had stores that one store on one end of town couldn't sell something for one price, but another store with a different clientele is totally different. And you know, it's fascinating. We're going to talk about this a lot on this podcast. And I know you and I talk about this in our sessions a lot is, you know, 
there is no such thing. And you can quote me on this. There is no such thing as a market anymore. Like, no, correct. Zoom You're right. And the modern age have made it so that you can sell to anybody. Correct. So keeping your prices low because of where you are or hitting the current area never has to be the case anymore. Yes. So do you think part of it was about like, because up until this point, and I know this because we've worked together up until that point, you only had a few wholesale stores. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was about finding out who actually your target audience was to match that pricing? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Because we do this a lot in business where we think quote, 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 our target audience is one thing, but in actuality, we just don't have that many people yet to know mm-hmm. what our target audience is. So now that you have 59 stores, mm-hmm. is that the correct number? I mean, it's raising. Did you check it again? I don't know. It? it might be 60 by now. It might I'm be 60 kidding. by now. Um, like we're watching like the ticker. Um, <laughs> what has changed in your perspective on who your target client is? Is it a different person than it used to be? Oh, it totally is. While, you know, five years ago, my target client was a mom who drove a minivan and to soccer, hauled all her kids to soccer practice. And Hey, I made jewelry for that person. Mm-hmm. Now my target client is the boutique owner. Yeah. That's uh. who I want. I mean, I want the person who owns the store because that's what I have am focusing on now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So from a sale, not that I don't, well, I mean, not that I don't still sell retail, I, I still have two consignment stores. I will say that. And I, well, still, I still have my website that I sell on retail all the time. And not that we don't want the soccer mom who is literally both of us on this call buying Absolutely. that jewelry because Absolutely. hello, we like the jewelry. But the perspective that she's saying, folks, is that the key to growing her business was taking it from standing at the table selling to the individual to the growth of realizing if you can sell to the business owner that mm-hmm. then has 500 clients, mm-hmm. your whole world can change. So mm-hmm. what has that done for your perspective on your business? You know, I used to think that this was my little business that was just going to have 10 little stores in North Alabama and one in California, <laughs> believe <laughs> it or not, which was weird. I have one little store. I've had one little store in California for like three years who's been with me for a long time, but you know, I was, that was my, I am stuck in this 10 store rut, I guess you would say. And a rut is like a big pothole people Mm -hmm. for those of you up North. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was just stuck at this 10 store threshold. And I had pretty much resigned to the fact that this was going to be, I was going to make jewelry and this was going to be it. And this was where my sales were going to stop. Mm-hmm. every year and they may go up just because of inflation and pricing going up and things like that but that was it um but then I changed my mindset and kind of last year I decided to really really focus on selling wholesale and I hired Sarah <laughs> and um it it really just it changed everything So as a a creative Mm -hmm. and somebody who originally started wanting to make every piece individual and unique and wonderful and custom, 
Now I like to give this as a header because it's very important. I love unique pieces. I started college as a fine arts major, fun fact, big on uniqueness. But the reality of the matter, when you want to also make money in what you're doing in something like your creative, mm-hmm. how has your packaging changed? How has your product changed to understand how to sell to a larger audience? Oh, it is, it's dramatic. I mean, I still make one of a kind pieces. Mm -hmm. I still do, I will do one in-person show this year and that is it. And that is hard for me because I love to get out and talk to people and I just, I always love doing shows. The setup was hard. The breakdown was hard, but I love selling to people and getting out there and meeting customers. So I still make one-of-a-kind pieces for those shows. And every now and then I will make a one-of-a-kind piece and put it on my retail website. In fact, I did that with a couple, a few weeks ago and um, sold one of them last week, actually. But it, you have if you're going to market yourself to a massive audience you have to be able to provide massive amounts of product mm-hmm. and you will have i mean you'll have someone come in and order 60 or 70 pieces and they might not be 60 or 70 of the same piece but 60 or 70 pieces is a lot and you have to have the streamlined process behind that to be able to create all of those pieces for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, people love to get a handmade piece of jewelry. They mm-hmm. love, I, I think if COVID has done nothing, <laughs> it has shown me that people are really coming around to handmade jewelry, supporting local artisans, mm-hmm. supporting small businesses, mm-hmm. and that has been a, that's been huge for us in the last year. Mm-hmm. Last it advice to anybody that's a creative and wanting to take their business to a real level. Mm-hmm. You broke would, up there for a minute. Oh, sorry. What would, my, what would my advice be? Yes, please. You're an uber successful creative now. Tell us all about it. What would your advice be to those folks? Thanks for calling me uber successful. I appreciate that. I mean, it's true. It's just a fact. Go on. Um, My advice would be is just stick to what you love. And, Mm -hmm. And I still love creating jewelry. I don't, you know, somebody asked me the other day when I was so busy, I had a friend ask me, do you still love it? And I was like, I still love it. I still love to sit here and make things. And it doesn't. It doesn't, it still doesn't seem like a job to me. Mm. All of the business end stuff seems like a job to me. We're working on that. Yeah. Sarah's working on that with me. (laughs) But the making of the actual jewelry is still doesn't seem like a job to me. It still seems like I come up here to play in my jewelry, Mm -hmm. which is, I guess, how it's supposed to be. I would, I would hope so, girl. We're doing the wrong thing if that's not the case. If it's not. So finally, I make every person that comes on this podcast do their elevator pitch, particularly yourself as a creative, because God forbid someone says, oh, I like what 
what that what is that what do you do and you have no answer for them on the planet so we like to make sure you have an answer miss amy could you please give us your elevator pitch so my name is amy boyle with grace girl beads and we make everyday jewelry for everyday women (laughs) we um you can find us on our website at um gracegirlbeads.com Beads has an S on the end of it. You can also find us on Facebook at Grace Girl Beads and on Instagram at Shop Grace Girl Huntsville. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I love that you snuck in all your contact info. We'll make sure to have that on the pod as well. You guys uh, make sure to check her out. She's amazing. And thanks for, thanks for coming on and chat with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated it. Hi, everybody. I hope you enjoyed Amy because she's awesome. Hello, Obviously, it's hello. me and Rachel, your host. Hello. We're for back. Sure. We're back. <laughs> what up? Welcome to the Red Carpet Roundup. Chatting about what we just heard. Obviously, when I'm interviewing, I'm kind of deep in it. So having Rachel here to kind of break down some fun stuff, ask the questions that I know you all are asking, chat about the important things that we hear, and really just kind of give y'all some homework. to take to your own business we love to do that so um I mean Amy's stuff is amazing I I just oh my gosh she She blows me away impressive it's so impressive she blows me away yeah she's like a rags to riches type story too (laughs) someone who literally just started doing it for like I don't know therapy therapy her Her friends at church she talks about that all the time yeah because she'll be she says um what did she say in our last session together she was talking about how oh because her kids are older one's like high school she's she's like so now instead of being up giving people bottles I'm up waiting for people to come home so I just work upstairs on jewelry and wait for them to come (laughs) her story was beautiful you know the part that like I don't mean to jump right in, but I guess Please I will. Uh, <laughs> I am here and I'm ready for it with my coffee. Do yeah. it, girl. No, listen, her whole story is so fantastic. But the beginning of her story, she starts because she says they moved from Georgia to Alabama so yes. that she could be a caretaker, right? Yeah. So and I, um, her, I believe it's her, her brother-in-law, her husband's brother is autistic. Oh. And okay. is a wonderful human being. And they, um, they wanted to be closer to him. I believe that's the reason that they moved back. Okay. So. And she'll correct Which took- and I'll tell you later. So, yeah, true. But no, I just was impressed by that. Cause I was like, wow, that's mm-hmm. really selfless. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and they loved probably- their life in Georgia. I think she planned on yes. being there for a long time. So that was probably a big, that was an act of faith in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And but then a beautiful story unravels after that. So I just like, I love that because I thought like, wow, that's, that's probably something she didn't really want to do, but look what it's turned into. Uh, I mean, like she's amazing. It's not like most of our life though. Like, or the, the crazy <laughs> part of like most of our stories is, I mean, it starts with something that is like entirely an act of faith. Like uh, for sure. I mean, absolutely. 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 I've never asked you this, but I didn't really assume knowing Rachel in college that she would ever have planned on or wanted to be like living in the school district she went to high school in and sending her kids there. So like that was not, you know, talking about like acts of faith. (laughs) That was not something I would have assumed 
would have been in Rachel's path. You're right. It wasn't. wasn't. And sometimes it it leads to the most wonderful things. Who knew? No, you never. (laughs) You don't ever know. You're right. Life takes on its own. Oh, gosh. Yeah, its own pathway. And you... (laughs) Life is full of surprises, that's for sure. Well, and I think um, that's what I love about Amy's story is because yes. like she literally just started making like some jewelry to pay for Christmas presents, is what she said. Yes. Uh, I love that though. I love that. And 10 years was, later, she's in 65 stores. She's like I Vogue. Know. I mean, like she what blows my mind. She blows my mind. And her jewelry what? is beautiful. It's right. really, really beautiful. So what did you feel like you learned listening to her process that you want to kind of bring into your own life? Oh, wow. Well, like the entire evolution of her business is so interesting. And she really walks oh. you through like the beginning days and the the displays at the pop-ups. Oh my and God. I also love her. Did, what her did you take accent. from that? Um, she's, I love. What did you yeah. take from that? Because I know like in your world, because I'm not a product-based salesperson. So like my right. life is not products. I love working with people who are because it's so fun and different for me. I know there's a lot of people that would be like, what the fuck is fun about that? But anyways, I, my world is different. I like sales. I like talking to people about it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> that's my jam is helping people with like that. Um, but for you, you're totally product-based. So did that True. help you? What did you take away from that? What do you think others should take away from that? <sighs> well, that can translate to any business because I am product related, but, but the products that I would sell like for Arbon are all online. And then there mm. are some opportunities to have like in-person gatherings around those products. But largely what I sell is, is basically just on a website that you go to, you purchase it. Like I keep no product at my house. I actually think that's one perk of Arbon is that I don't need to keep product. Mm. Um, and some, L- some MLMs do certainly push that and require you to buy a certain level of product. And I don't need to do that. But well, and it's true of Amy, because I think, and this is going to like probably blow a lot of people's minds, but, and I don't care if she said it on the podcast or not, but she only does one table event a year. Yes. Now crazy that's for crazy like but amazing physical, right but like so it's such an idea of like you know using samples or using small pieces or using like that report to pull people into your digital world of yes. products as well like how do you do that in your business so she talks about display right well I sell skincare or I sell nutrition products so like I'm on display <laughs> mm, oh my god in a way that's and yeah, she does that I a lot too. It. I mean, when I see her, she's yes. one of those people that layers jewelry so beautifully. Like I'll see her wearing like, not, not even kidding, like three or four necklaces that like look correct together. Like I would look yes. insane and I see her and I'm like, wow, you look so cool. <laughs> like you just like not. look so cool. So I know that for her, she's like literally a walking display of her own stuff. Yeah. She would never refer to it like that, but it's true. She talked about going to those events too that, you know, and she sort of talked about this at the end of the podcast too, like how she misses that personal aspect of it. Mm. Um, there is fun in that, right? There's yes. there's a, a whole different vibe when you're selling to a group of people who are in front of you, whether that is with your products or your, you yourself are on display, whatever service or product you're selling. Um, but that in-person experience is, is really, that'll fill you differently right? Like it, it fills the soul. Um, it just feeds you different. And I, so I, I can understand her missing that, but just the physicality of like doing a pop-up and like 
Yeah, coming up, doing a display, Sarah, and, and I will say this, this is one major thing I took from this. I have such respect for her because I am not a quote unquote creative at all. Yeah. <laughs> not what God gifted me with. That is just, that is not this. So to have to go into an event and arrange your products mm-hmm. in a way that is like, looks desirable and brings traffic to your table. Like that's a whole that is a skill in and of itself. Oh my so. God. And when she talked about like that, she's put so much thought into the actual displays that people have asked to buy them. I was like, yeah. what? Like think about, and everybody who, who is selling something like that should be thinking about that. Like who the hell knew yes. how important that part of it was, but it's true. Like thinking about, and this, this will show my age and it's fine because <laughs> Rachel's on here and we're just, we're just loving <laughs> life and rocking out to Brittany. It's no big deal. But like, totally I normal. think about back in the day, the places like Hollister and Abercrombie, right? Like mm-hmm. 90% of what you were buying was like the store. It was like the brand. And when you went in there, everything in the place was oh. part of that brand. Every cent, every cent. Every five cents, the smells, the sights, yes. the sounds, the loud music, yes. the fragrance. Oh my God. It was a whole experience to walk through there. And I can attest to that because I worked at Abercrombie. So obviously. sorry, everyone. But obviously. <laughs> and, and I think that Amy has kind of bottled that ideology and brought yes. it to her own kind of tabling vibe, yes. you know, like what you're displaying things on, whether it's, you know, teeny tiny or huge. Yes matters mm-hmm. like it's part of your brand when she's talking about using the bottles or whatever to yes. put the necklaces on like that's so cool and so creative once again that's someone who has not a creative bone in her body I'm like wow like I'm just so impressed and amazed by that because I would never think of something like that but yeah I mean just that's putting yourself in a little details too right so you have this mm. physical display and it's such an opportunity to put yourself into it and so mm. There's, that's that's beautiful. And she was beautiful. And I just loved everything that she she talked all about, like starting from there. And like you said, now she's she's primarily online. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really do the in-person stuff too much anymore. She's doing a lot of wholesale is, now too. So yes, which and is I don't so cool. know if we define that. So for anybody that's, that's yeah, listening is in the retail world, you know, you can do like person to person sales basically so that you're selling directly mm-hmm. to the consumer. Or you can sell wholesale. So you're selling to a store that is going to then sell your product. There's two websites that she uses. So for anybody that has a product that wants to be doing it wholesale, um, I'll make sure these are in the notes, but it's Hello Abound. And um, the other one's called Fair. And they're fabulous. And they're like online marketplaces for small mom and pop stores to buy products like yours to then sell at their own shop. So right. for anyone that's kind of looking at that, that's kind of a direction to go. But um, I don't know what else did you take away? I just, I love her so much and I'm so happy for her that she's like, exploring. Yes. I mean, so she's ama- like, she's amazing. Like her stuff is, is so serious. And you can tell, okay, so this is really interesting. And this is one thing I think I want to talk about with you. Jory started almost like a therapy for her, right? She was so mm-hmm. obviously passionate about it. When she talks about working those long hours, it's like she doesn't want to stop. Uh-huh. So let's just start there. If you're looking about or looking to start 
something. And we mm-hmm. talked a little bit this on either my podcast, mm-hmm. you know, find something that speaks to you that you are already connected in some way you're already interested in, you already have some experience. So that was really cool. And then, but you, you get to see her entire growth in the podcast because she starts talking all the way into creating a business strategy, right? She went all the way yeah. from like, Hey, I'm trying to make some money to sell, to, to buy Christmas presents to, Hey, I needed to nail my pricing strategy. Right. Down, right. Well, like she I, talked about. I think that's a moment in like, you don't have to start with a fortune 500 level business plan. Like it's okay. Right. If you just want to explore whether or not a product works for you. Right. It doesn't have to be like a psychotic, like, you know, website already up, business cards made, like True. situation. True. And I think she's such a, a, a wonderful story in that is yes. doing something that you love, seeing if it works, and then being like, you know what? I do want to do this as a business. This could mm-hmm. be real. Like, this could be something that's great. It was like a beautiful transition from transition. Like, she did it very gracefully. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a very graceful person yeah she is grace girl b she grace picked that right um mm-hmm. <laughs> but she she did she walks through every season now there were moments right like she talked about this not everything just evolves naturally there were moments when she was like i'm gonna try this and if it doesn't work like she said i'm gonna get a real job like there were uh, moments like that there were definite burn the ships moment absolutely like there are there were those moments for sure so don't think you're gonna get away with it if you don't have some of those but following your passion and, and pouring yourself into it, I think, um, I don't know, that application of yourself in that like real selfless way, it just breeds like, yes, <laughs> pick a good word for me. <laughs> I mean, it, it breeds success to be quite honest. Yes, growth. Like- right. <laughs> success is a good one. You're like, what word, what word should I be using? Where am I? <laughs> I um, and I wanted her on to talk about that because it's I think it's so easy for us to not to look at other people so Amy's a great example of this right I think that people look at folks like Amy and they're like then upset at their own situation because it's not happening overnight and meanwhile Amy's been doing this for a decade so yes remind yourself pump the brakes sometimes right like you know like on expectation pump the brakes on expectation yeah, don't pump the don't brakes pump on, the on right yeah don't pump the and it's okay the passion, if you're yeah. not making we've social media has burdened us with thinking mm. that every business needs to be a billion dollar business in the first year it's okay right. if it's not and quite frankly you're probably gonna be more successful if it's a slow growth situation you're slow burn, baby. Slow burn. <laughs> like you'll be fine. Even mm. you know my favorite Sarah Blakely of Spanx started out by driving around love her this. little car. And her, her Spanx t-shirt prototype. is everything. Oh my god, I love that. Did you see that Instagram post? She had for anyone that doesn't know her story, please go to her Instagram and find out about yes. it. But she had like ironed on herself to like a black polo, oh, like her, her little Spanx logo. Spanx. And was running around in her car trying to sell her product to department stores. So even billionaires started out this way. It's okay. And 
if you don't have Spanx in your closet, you're a liar. So well, I mean, okay. you're a freaking, just want to point that out. You're a freaking liar. So <laughs> you know, like, so get over it. It it might take some time. You're doing great. Everyone's doing great. You're doing awesome. Um, closing thoughts on Miss Amy. Um, Other than I she's a queen. She, Other than she's an she amazing. Is. She's a queen. She talked, um, I think two things for me with her. One, she said creatives need a business strategy. So I think a lot of mm. people who are very artistic, that's a specific mm-hmm. group of people who are designing and they're literally creating something yeah. beautiful. And sometimes those people are not as business oriented by nature. Right. Yeah. But I think she, like you so, still need a strategy. Yes. Right. Like she, she so poignantly put that, like, it doesn't really matter who you are, or what you do. If you want this to be a business if you want this to be your livelihood, you can't just wing it, right? You've got to have a plan in place. So I think she does that really, really well where she might not be like super detail oriented that way, but she's certainly like through or your didn't, coaching didn't start that way. Right. She was and well now on her way there when we met. So maybe she didn't that start need, that way, yeah. but she's worked on it that need gets more clearly defined as you get further and further in, I'm sure as well. Um, But she also talked about defining your target audience. She said, you know, I went from like a soccer mom to like, she was talking about trying to sell to boutique owners. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool. That, so Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a a really um, it's a powerful lesson that your target audience can slowly evolve. Oh yeah. As your business evolves. Right. Oh yeah. Um, not that that doesn't mean she doesn't still have love for the soccer moms out there and that her product well, doesn't ultimately end up in those hands, but correct. it's a different, it's a, it's an entirely different approach. Correct. Correct. And your target audience can evolve for a lot of different reasons. It can evolve for outside reasons, like what's happening in the economy or what's happening in the world. It can also evolve for inside reasons. Maybe your product has changed or the way that you go about things has changed. So it can be a really different plan that you need to have but it doesn't mean yes. a bad plans thing. change plans, plans change, change right like and they should yes most expensive raising businesses this is the way we always have done it yeah so <laughs> don't be don't. also the dumbest thing that people say in business yeah so please so don't don't, don't do burn alive under that <laughs> yes um miss rachel i always love our chats just love our chats. Is, yeah. oh, thank you for having me Oh, Rachel, I'm so happy you're part you're of the podcast gift. now. You're, you're, you're a, a gift. gift. You stop it. <laughs> you're my treat. <laughs> you stop it. You're such a lovely human being. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. We love having you here. Thank you, guys. We'll have Amy's info in um, our show notes so you can check out all her jewelry. Please go buy it. And if you're oh, planning God, so on doing pretty. it for Christmas, buy it now because yes, she sells a lot. So get your crap together. So you are ready. Um, if you have questions, reach out. We're always here for it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. We want you here. We want you listening yes. every Thursday. Join Not us. a big deal. Join us. Bring your coffee. <laughs> bring your margarita. I don't care. Yes. Just bring yourself and what you need. Um, also, if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review. It helps a ton for us and for other folks that are finding it. And if you hate us, it's cool. Please just don't do anything. It's okay. Okay. We still love you. Um, thanks for joining us. I hope you guys have a great day and see you next week. Bye.